0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, did you realize that there are places in this world that people are fighting so that they can have an opportunity to worship there? There are places in this world that are so precious when it comes to worship that people would, would take up arms and fight for the opportunity to worship there. Now, I know what you're thinking. We're starting a third service. I'm not talking about the first three rows at Wildwood. Um, I've never seen a fist fight break out in, in, these, in these areas for the opportunity to worship in this place. But there are places in the world where people fight for the opportunity to worship there. One of the most prevalent places where, where fighting is occurring for the opportunity to worship there, if you followed headlines the last number of weeks, is in the city of Jerusalem, in a little parcel of land where the temple of the living God once stood. See, under David's leadership, the nation of Israel conquered the city of Jerusalem, and David's son Solomon, under the direction of God, built a temple on that site where worship was given to God by the Jewish people for a number of years, a thousand years before Christ. Worship was offered to God from this spot. But what's happened over time, if you visit Jerusalem today, you'll notice that there no longer is a temple at that site, but today there is a mosque. There's the the Dome of the Rock, a a holy place for Muslims. There's the Al-Aqsa mosque complex up on top of what we know of as the Temple Mount. Today, uh, Muslims go to that place and they remember as a a holy site, a a location where Muhammad made a special field trip to heaven, they believe, and, and learned about prayer. So on that site, Muslims go to worship. Jewish people today cannot worship on the top of that Temple Mount. Instead, they get as close as they possibly can to that physical location, and they worship there, a place that we know of as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, where Jews today will gather. It's as close as they can get to the spot where their temple used to be, and they gather there and they worship. And, and it is such a, a heated conflict between Jews and Muslims in that region of the world that the city streets of Jerusalem are filled with armed military. Just a few weeks ago, my wife and I had the chance to go a part of a trip to Israel, and as we walked around Jerusalem, I've never seen so many machine guns in all my life. They were everywhere because the tension in that city is so heated because the Jews and the Muslims both have a desire. They're, they're a fighting desire to worship in one spot. Now, here's the question that maybe you have. Why is it that Christians aren't joining in this fight? I mean, after all, Christianity is a religion that also has its roots in that city. Jesus was a Jew. Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. Jesus died on a cross not far from this location. Jesus himself would have worshiped in the temple area. Why is it that Christians today are not joining the fight inside of the city of Jerusalem to worship on that site? Well, the answer to that question is really found for us in a conversation that Jesus had with a woman at a well in the book of John chapter 4. What we see in in John 4 is that Jesus is going to clarify that Christians and really all people on the earth today don't have to fight over a GPS location in terms of their ability to worship God. There's a fundamental change that has happened in our worship of God and And it has something to do with what Jesus has done for us. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at John 4. On the the brink of getting ready to launch a new worship service and talking about worship, I I thought it's helpful for us to focus on what worship is and what it isn't and, and look at the words of Jesus to clarify for us the things that are really important when it comes to our worship of God. And we're going to see that today from the book of John In chapter 4, and I'm going to focus in for us today on verses 20 through 26 of John 4, as we look at really what God has done for us in Christ as He's allowed us the opportunity to worship Him in spirit and truth. But before we we dive in and look at 20 to 26, it's really helpful for us to, to look at the full context of the conversation that Jesus has with this woman at the well. For us to look only at verses 20 to 26 without the context would be like eavesdropping on just a few seconds of a a conversation that went on for maybe an hour or more. So it's helpful for us to to recap and to see the context of the verses that we're going to look at more in depth today. And the context, really, of John 4 is this. Jesus had been in Jerusalem, and after his time in Jerusalem, he was going to go back to his home base up in, in the northern part of the country around the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is going to make the trip from Jerusalem back to the north. Now, the fastest way to get from Jerusalem back to the north was to take a straight shot up across an area known, of as, known as Samaria. The fastest way from Jerusalem to Galilee was through Samaria. Samaria. But Jewish people didn't like to take the fast route, and it's not because they wanted to waste time, it's because they really hated the people that lived in Samaria. There was real enmity, real strife between the Jews and the Samaritans. See, the Jews looked at the Samaritans and they said, those people are a bunch of sellouts. Those are the people that gave up, uh, up our relationship with God early, and they, they intermarried with other nations, they, they flirted with other God's. Therefore, the Jewish people and the Samaritans had this split. And even beyond that, the the Samaritans had formed really some odd theological views. They had begun to to think in their isolation from the Jews, they had begun to think that really God had only given five books of the Bible, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and that that's all the revelation that God had given. And so they had developed kind of a, a, a unique or, or a, a strange or a weird view of God, a weird understanding of theology, and it had further given a divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because of that, many Jews, when they traveled from the south to the north in the country, would take the long way around so they wouldn't even have to walk through that region and interact with what they would have considered to be those filthy Samaritans. But Jesus is different, right? Right? How does Jesus get from the south to the north? Right through the middle of Samaria. And why does he do that? Jesus does that because he wants everyone to know that the gift of life that he's getting ready to offer is not for Jews only, but it's for people all over the world, including people who are as despised as the Samaritans. Jesus was making a point to his disciples. He's making a point to the nation of Israel in the first century. He's making a point to us today that his plan is for all people, not just for one nation. And so Jesus goes from the south to the north through Samaria. Now, as he's walking through Samaria, it is getting hot and he's getting thirsty. And in this day, before 7-Elevens, you would go to water sources like a well in order to draw a drink of water. And so as he's going through Samaria, he comes to a well that was attributed to Jacob. It was Jacob's well. And so about noon, Jesus arrives at this well, and he sends his disciples into town to go gather some food, and Jesus sits down at the well and notices a woman, a Samaritan woman who had come to that well to draw some water. And Jesus begins a little interaction with her. Jesus says to this woman at the well, he says, hey, can you get me a drink of water? And she looks up, kind of surprised, and says, well, this sure is a weird thing for you to ask, because... I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and we don't get each other drinks. But Jesus says, could you get me something to drink? And and so Jesus responds and says, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, then you would ask me, and I would give to you living water. Water Jesus was talking about, not that would just quench your thirst, but that would quench your soul. Jesus was reminding her what we just said, that the gift of life that he was getting ready to offer was not for Jews only, but it was for Jews and Samaritans, for people all over the world. The forgiveness, the life, the hope that Jesus was offering was for her too. Jesus says, I'm offering you living water. She says, well, then I'd love some of that. And then Jesus and her begin a little more interaction. And Jesus said, well, why don't you go ask your husband about it? Well, at this point, she kind of stammers a little bit in her speech. And Jesus says, oh, that's right. You don't have a husband right now. The, the guy that you're with, you're not married to. And you've had several people that you've been married and divorced several times in the past. Now, when Jesus says that, he's trying to reveal to her, not to shame her, but to let her know that, that he knows her. He's, he's shared a deep, dark secret that a Jewish person tr- that's traveling the countryside would not have known apart from special revelation. Well, the woman hears Jesus speak to her in this way, and, and, and she immediately does what many of us would do if you ever found yourself on the other end of a, of a pastor who is challenging you about a personal sin in your life, just ask a really hard theological question. Um, we, like to, we like to debate and talk about these kinds of things, right? So she's like, I'm going to ask him a question to take the focus off of me And on to some other topic, I'm going to ask him a question about worship. And that's the context that we see beginning in chapter 4, verse 20. We're going to see, uh, we'll read these verses, and then we'll back up and and, and unpack them a little bit. In in verse 20, the the woman is talking, and she says, Our fathers, they they worshipped on this mountain. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, in these verses, we're going to see a couple of things about worship. The first really, thing we're going to see is really a question. How do we worship? How do we worship? The woman in verse 20 is going to ask a question, and her question is really uh, expressing a curiosity about the how-tos of worship. If we're to worship God, what's the right way to do it? Give us a manual, Jesus. Answer the question. Show me the how-to of of what it looks like to worship God. Again, I, I think she did this partly to change the the topic and away from herself to something external, but I think she does so and and asks a a legitimate question because there was a difference of opinion between the Samaritans and the Jews about exactly where worship was to take place. See, the, the Samaritans had a belief that true worship of God would originate off of a mountain called Mount Gerizim near a place called Shechem, and it was in Samaria. They believed that because in the book of Deuteronomy, this is one of the places where God's people, and throughout the Pentateuch, this is one of the places where God's people would worship. And it, remember, the Samaritans only received or believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And in that time, there was a tradition that worship was to take place on Mount Gerizim. The Jewish people, though, had embraced a, a larger history of God's revelation that it included not just the first five books, but all 39 books of the Old Testament. And they they had seen God provide more than just this limited area, but all of the nation of Israel, including the city of Jerusalem, and had inspired Solomon to build on this one particular site in Jerusalem a temple to the living God. And so, Jewish people believed that worship was going to take place in in Jerusalem. Samaritan people believed that worship would take place in Shechem, and there was this disagreement. And so, the woman asks Jesus, hey, which one of us is right, here or there? Now, before we go on to look at Jesus' answer, I think it's helpful for us to reflect on that question a little bit ourselves. My guess is that most of you in this room are not asking a lot of questions about the geography of your worship. You know, we have grown up in a different context. We have grown up in, a, in, a, in cities. If you grew up in the, in the Midwest or the South in the United States, there's, there's churches all over towns, so and we've never stopped and said, well, well, that one has a connection to God and that one doesn't. We've been familiar and, and, and comfortable with this idea of worship of God in, in many places. Geography typically isn't our issue. You know what? There are a number of other how-tos of worship that we do get a little agitated about sometimes, and that we can begin to ask questions like, what is the true style of music that God likes? And we begin to ask questions like that. You know, some people would say, God likes new songs, and some people would say, no, 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 God likes old songs. And part of the challenge with new songs and old songs is that we all determine them based on different dates, you know, there are people in this room that would say that a song from all the way back in 2006 is an old song. And there are others in this room that would say, no, 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 an old song is a song that was written in certain rhyme and meter and, and hymn-like structure in the 17 or 1800s. Well, you know what? There, there's, there's worshipful good songs that were written in 2006 and 2015. There were good songs that were written in the 1700s, but even under those definitions, have we just forgotten that people worshiped God for 1,700 years before those songs were even written? You see, if we were to go to God and we were to say, okay, God, which mountain of music do you like the best? Do you like the mountain of 2015 or do you like the mountain of 1715? You know what God would say? It's Not about the mountain. And yet that's a question that we ask, Right? Sometimes it's not about music style. Sometimes the questions that we have about worship have to do with um, architecture. You know, I grew up in a church uh, that had stained glass windows. In my mind, that church looks, a church looks a certain way because that's how I grew up. Church smells a certain way because of how I grew up. Some of you are nodding your heads. Kelly, you, you agree with me, right? There, there's, a, there's a certain smell when you grew up in certain churches. You just You associate that. This is the right way to do church because this is the way that I've seen. This is the way that I've experienced. And then you go around the world and you see in in China an underground church meeting in a basement without windows at all, without a sound system at all, and you realize that our understanding of church can't be stained glass. It can't just look a certain way because if we were to ask God, God, do you like the church that meets in the basement or the church that meets with the stained glass? You know what God would say? not about the architecture. You know, for some of us, it's not about those things. It's about personalities. We like this worship leader or this teacher or this, this situation. We begin to think that, that if we were to go to God, okay, God, what is the, the greatest uh, church environment for me to be in? Is it the church of so-and-so or the church of so-and-so? You know what God would say? Not about so-and-so. You see, we ask questions similar to this woman, but we ask them in different ways. We want to know the how-tos of worship. We want the inside track. And so we ask these kinds of questions. But Jesus answers the woman's question, and and Jesus will answer our question as well. We want to know how do we worship. You know how Jesus answers from 21 to 26? He changes our focus from how to who. changes our focus from how to who. And we see this in these verses. The first thing we see is Jesus' response in in verse 21. It's a a summary of what I just said. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. It's not about which mountain. It's not about which music style. It's not about which era. It's not about which architecture. It's not about which which person, human leader. It's not about those things, Jesus says. It's not about the how-tos. It's about the who. Verse 22, he continues, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, this is an interesting question, an interesting comment. It can be a little bit confusing to us even, because we're talking about Jesus walking through Samaria to put out this offer of salvation to, to all people. Why here does he say that salvation is from the Jews? Why does he point it back to one specific people group? I think that what Jesus is doing here is He's letting the woman at the well know, He's letting us know that worship is a response to revelation. Worship is a response to revelation. You see, the the Samaritans had rejected 34 installments of God's revelation of the Old Testament. They'd rejected it. Therefore, their worship had gotten weird. Their worship was incomplete. Their worship was missing because God had revealed the way that the people of God were to worship Him in the fullness of His revelation, and they were clinging only to one little bitty part. Jesus said, because of that, you don't even know what you're doing in worship because you've rejected the revelation of God. Jesus said, the Jewish people who have received all 39 books of the Old Testament, at this point in time, at this point in history, He's saying to them, they are the ones that have a full understanding of who God is. Therefore, their worship is accurate because they are worshiping in response to the revelation of God. Now, the irony of that, as we see this today in in time, space, history, is that the Jewish people today have rejected the revelation of God. Think about the fact that they've rejected the, 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 the Word made flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They reject Him as the Savior. They reject the 27 installments of God's revelation that we know of as the New Testament. Because of that, their worship has gotten a little weird, a little strange. It gathers around a wall in the hopes that there's an antenna there that God would hear. When God has offered something greater, You see, the the point for us today is that we have the opportunity to connect to the God of the universe and to worship Him in response to the revelation that He's given us of Himself. We worship God the way that we do because He has revealed Himself the way that He has. This is why our our songs that we sing are are based in Scripture. This is why we spend large sections of our worship service reading God's Word and talking about what it means. This is why when we gather in our small groups, as I'm going to do my small group tonight, we're going to gather around God's Word and we're going to read it together. Because when we see God's Word, when we see His revelation, it inspires worship within us. God's desire in His revelation is not just that we're smarter not just so we can answer Bible trivia questions, it's so that we would worship him. Worship is a response to his revelation. God has graciously given it to us in his word. He's given it to us through Jesus Christ, and so we can worship him. Jesus is shifting the focus from the hows to the who. Verse 23 and 24, the story continues. Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Jesus says that the time is coming and is now here. He's saying, what I am doing and getting ready to do on the cross is going to create a new way, a new vehicle, a new opportunity, a new revelation for you to embrace so that your worship of God can be complete. Jesus is providing the way for us to worship him. And what's fascinating is he says here that the Father is seeking worshipers of him. What a beautiful statement that is. The God of the universe who does not need us wants us. He is pursuing us. He is seeking after us. He has revealed Himself to us through the Word and through Jesus. He's made it possible for us to know Him because He wants us to relate to Him, and He wants us to relate to Him in a way that allows us to magnify Him, to glorify Him, to make His name great for us to worship Him. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, know that that is so, not because you're smarter, but because the Father pursued you. He sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost, which is us, so that we might have a relationship with him. It's not an accident. God loves you. He's pursued you. He is seeking after you. If you're here today and you're just checking out church, you're checking out Christianity, know this. The God of the universe is crazy about you. He is seeking you. He would give his own son to die on the cross for you so that you might have a relationship with him. The Father is seeking you. The shift is from a how to, but it's it's straight to a to a who. Jesus continues in verse twenty-four, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The way that we have an opportunity to worship God, Jesus says, is in spirit and truth. Now, we see that in English. It sounds like two ideas, spirit and truth. But in the original language, this is set up in such a way to really communicate one idea. What Jesus is really saying here is He says, I I want you to to, to worship God in a truly spiritual way. One idea. Not spirit and truth, but a truly spiritual way. Jesus is going to make it possible for us not just to go to some place and check a box and say we worship. He's made it possible for us not to just have some rote memory exercise that we go through, to, to make some pilgrimage so that we can say that we've been there. Jesus makes it possible for us to actually worship God in a truly spiritual way, that from the depths of our heart and our soul we could, we could magnify God, we could connect with him. This is possible because what Jesus has done, he died on the cross for our sins to cleanse us so that from the inside there's a renovation. Then he sends his spirit inside of our hearts so that we are able, have something, an internal force welling up from within us, pushing us towards connection with the God of the universe. See, we have the opportunity to worship God in a truly spiritual way because of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus underlines that in verses 25 and 26, when the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. See what Jesus did there? He changed her focus from how to who. And you know what? It's important for us to remember that. Because as we talk about adding a worship service, we're not adding a worship service and just do some different hows. We're just responding to what we see God doing and seeking others around us so that we can magnify the who of our lives, Jesus Christ. And you know what? If, if you are here today and you have trusted in the work that Jesus did on the cross for your sins, then my prayer is that every moment of your life From deep within us, we would connect with the Spirit of God within us, which is pushing us towards the God who created us, that we would worship Him. And if you're here today and you have never placed your faith and your trust in Christ, that today might be the day that you trust in Him. Today might be the day that you realize that you want to not just check a box and say that I've been to church or or that I'm religious or try to make a pilgrimage to one city at one point in my life, but you are going to connect to the God of the universe in an ongoing, eternal life kind of way by embracing in faith what what this woman realized in John 4, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, Son of God. And we can begin that relationship with Him merely by believing and trusting Him.